Well, again, good morning, New Breed. It's good to be back with you. It's good to open God's Word with you. I was telling uh, the folks here a little while ago that I feel a little out of sorts because I, I didn't preach uh, this past Sunday because Pastor Lance brought us uh, an incredible message um, about seeing Jesus as our greatest treasure. Uh, and the week before that, which was Mother's Day, we actually recorded that service earlier in the week. So it's been a couple Sundays uh, since I've, I've been before you guys. Uh, hopefully I haven't lost it at this point. But I, I just want to tell you here uh, at the start that we will uh, have a question and answer time again at the end of this sermon. Uh, so you can feel free there in the comments to, to, to jot down any questions that you may have. Hopefully they're specifically about the sermon uh, and our text this morning. And we'll do again a brief kind of 10-15 minute question and answer time at the end. And so hopefully by now you're, you're to the book of Daniel. Uh, I'm excited to start through the book of Daniel. And here in just a minute, I'll tell you kind of where we're going for the rest of the year. But I want to begin just by reading Daniel chapter 1. And we're going to read uh, the entire chapter, Daniel chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles there, follow along with me as I read. And I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Daniel records this. In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. The Lord handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to him, along with some of the vessels from the house of God. And Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon, to the house of his gods, and put the vessels in the treasury of his God. The king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility, young men without any physical defect, good-looking, suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, and capable of serving in the king's palace. Excuse me. He was to teach them the Chaldean language and literature. The king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. They were to be trained for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to attend the king. Among them, from the Judites, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief eunuch gave them names. He gave them Belteshazzar to Daniel, Shadrach, to Hananiah, Meshach, to Mishael, and Abednego, to Azariah. Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. So he asked permission from the chief eunuch not to defile himself. God had granted Daniel kindness and compassion from the chief eunuch. Yet he said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and drink? What if he sees your faces looking thinner than the other men your age? You would endanger my life with the king. So Daniel said to the guard whom the chief eunuch had assigned to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then examine our appearance and the appearance of the young men who are eating the king's food. And deal with your servants based on what you see. He agreed with them about this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, they looked better and healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. So the guard continued to remove their food and wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. 
God gave these four young men knowledge and understanding in every kind of literature and wisdom. Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. And at the end of the time that the king had said to present them, so that's three years, the chief eunuch presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. And the king interviewed them. And among all of them, no one was found equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they began to attend the king. In every matter of wisdom and understanding that the king consulted them about, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and mediums in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. And so I'm excited to announce that this morning we are, we are starting a new series through the book of Daniel. And it's, and it's going to be a series entitled uh, Dominion, Faith, and Worship. Dominion, faith, and worship. Now, I know it has been uh, our pattern, the pattern of new breed, uh, that as we study through books of the Bible, we typically rotate between Old and New Testament. But, but this book has been heavy on my heart for quite some time. So I know we just finished an Old Testament book. Uh, but I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, it's okay to study two Old Testament books back to back. And I know that if you were here, I would have gotten an amen from you. You know, I've been studying through the book of Daniel personally for, for quite some time, and I, I believe that there are some timely lessons for us in regards to God's reign in this world, our need for faith, and the beauty of worship that flows out of faith. A beauty of worship that sees God as the sovereign king of all eternity. And so here at the beginning, I, I want to share with you just, just three reasons why I'm, I'm very excited to, to dive into the book of Daniel. So I'm going to have a little bit of introduction, but, but I just want to give you three reasons why, why I'm excited to study the book of Daniel with you. First, as the title of the series states, we will examine three key themes throughout this book. Now I want to say this up front, there are more major themes than this. These are not the only major themes of the book, but I want to kind of focus in on these three things. So we will examine God's dominion. We will be reminded that our God is sovereign over all creation. Even as King Nebuchadnezzar declares there in chapter 4, he says, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And he does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can block his hand or say to him, what have you done? You see, even the kings and the rulers of this world will bend to the powerful, sovereign, omnipotent, and unchangeable hand of God. Our God is the sovereign ruler of all. We will see even in what appears to be hopeless moments and hard times that God is still very much in control. We will also examine this idea of, of faith throughout this book and, and even in what we will see today. We see a picture of what faithfulness looks like. Daniel is, living, is a living, breathing example of a faithful saint who clung to God even when nations turned away. And we will examine worship. Even as we have said this morning, church, our God is rightly due all praise and adoration and glory. And throughout this book, we will see multiple pictures of worship. We will see true worship. 
We will see pictures of of half-hearted worship or incomplete worship. And we will see people who refuse to worship. We will watch also as pagan people see God for who he truly is and repent of their sins. And we will see worship for the coming Messiah that sustains saints of old in the most extreme circumstances. And a theme that we will see early on in regards to worship, even as early as chapter 2. So next week's sermon, we'll see this idea, and it's a powerful idea in the book of Daniel. And I'm excited to look at it next week. We'll, We'll see this idea that God can do anything, but he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to. And even if God doesn't act, he is still worthy of worship. But the second reason that I'm excited to study the book of Daniel with you is because the book of Daniel church, and this is, this is a fact, uh, it makes me somewhat anxious but somewhat excited at the same time, the book of Daniel is going to stretch us. I mean, this book contains narrative, it contains prophecies, and it contains apocalyptic predictions, so end-time predictions. It will force us to approach the text in many different ways. This book will force us to examine world history and see how God has fulfilled prophecies, and it will force us to look ahead and consider the end of this age, a time that is shrouded in mystery, but still a time we anticipate with hope and longing. Contained within this book in chapter 9 is what many commentators have regarded as the most difficult section in all of Scripture to interpret and understand. And we're going to take a stab at it when we get there. You know, this book will force us to marvel at the mystery of God. We will be reminded that indeed God's ways are not our ways and His thoughts are not our thoughts. And even though God has revealed much to us, There are still mysteries that are for him and him alone. And the goal is not to be frustrated when we don't understand, but the goal is to look at these things that are complicated that God understands perfectly yet are too high for us and to marvel at how amazing our God is. But the third reason I'm excited for this series is because, and I love this, there are are echoes of the gospel that reverberate loudly throughout this entire book. It is a book that longs for the coming Messiah and reminds us of how amazing the promise fulfilled in Christ is. You know, at the heart of who we are is the gospel. And this this book helps us gaze in adoration at who Jesus is and his amazing work accomplished on the cross. And we are reminded as we study Daniel that indeed all God's promises find their yes in Christ. And so this is going to be an exciting series. It's going to be a a challenging series. It will stretch us. But my hope is that as we study the word of God, we will be shaped and molded to look more like Christ and we will gaze upon God with even more awe and adoration when we consider just how amazing he is. Now before we, we jump into this first chapter here, Let me give you a little bit of background about the book. We'll actually pull it from the first chapter. But the book of Daniel begins in verses 1 and 2 telling us that in the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. And the Lord handed King Jehoiakim 
of Judah over to him. And so when this would have taken place would have been 605 B.C. So 605 years before Christ. And what follows in the book of Daniel is the account of Daniel's life as he lives in exile under foreign rulers while he fights to remain faithful to Yahweh, believing in a better kingdom to come, believing in an eternal kingdom. And Daniel is the author of this book. Uh, There is debate about that, but I think all of the debate is insignificant. I think that the arguments raised for Daniel not being the author are are insufficient. They don't measure up, I believe, as it testifies in the book that Daniel is the author. I think that is supported by even in the visions. He speaks in first person and says, I. And so Daniel is writing as if he is the, or Daniel is communicating himself to be the author. And so we believe that Daniel is the author author of the book. It recounts Daniel's life. Hear this, beginning as a teenager and serving into his 80s until his death in the court of foreign kings. As I mentioned, this book contains narrative as well as prophecy and apocalyptic visions. And again, throughout this book, we will see the themes of dominion, faith, and worship riddled throughout the pages. The book contains chapters, and by and large, we're going to spend about 12 weeks studying it. So we're going to try to take a chapter a week. The reason for that is because they really do kind of tell, they're they're good breaks in the story. Uh, And so there are some, as we get later on, specifically into the prophecies, where we might chop them up a little bit more. But by and large, we're going to take a chapter at a time. So we're going to be working through the book of Daniel through the summer. And then just to give you an idea of where we're going, uh, after that in the fall, we're going, to, we're going to actually do a series on this idea of biblical friendship. So we're going to, uh, we're going to take a look at, at what it looks like to be a friend who gets his understanding, his or her understanding of friendship from the Bible. Then we'll do some things centered around uh, Advent uh, and Thanksgiving, uh, and that will most likely take us through the end of this year. But going back to the book of Daniel, I want to encourage you to do something. I want to encourage you here at the beginning. And I know talking somewhat fast, you might think, well, he always talks fast, but I've got a lot to cover, and I want to get through some of this introduction. But I want to encourage you that over these next 12 weeks or so that you spend some time studying and meditating on the book of Daniel. I'll be honest with you, it will actually help you to read ahead what we're going to talk about because you'll have a better understanding of what's going on in the text. But I want to encourage you to stick with it. Because as I mentioned, there are some sections of Daniel that are very difficult to understand looking at it, just taking it at face value. And my hope is that I will help break that down, explain some of those confusing parts to you. But I want to encourage you to read the book of Daniel. And I believe that you will be edified as you studied it. So this morning, I want to draw to your attention to this idea, what I've tagged the sermon, faith in the midst of turmoil. Faith in the midst of turmoil. And I believe that this is practical to us today. Because even though we may not be like Daniel, in that our nation has not been conquered by a foreign king, like Daniel, we are living as sojourners and exiles in a land that is not our own. As Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 2, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God 
on the day of visitation. We are living in a world that we know is not our home. We are, like Daniel, sojourners and exiles in a foreign land. And yet, while we are here, like, like Daniel was, while he was there, our aim is to glorify God in this broken and sinful world. And in this world that we live in, we will face hardship, we will face turmoil, we will face trial. And the question is, will we have faith in the midst of turmoil? As we consider the first chapter of Daniel, I have three lessons that I want to communicate to you that that I believe will help us think through this idea of holding on to faith in the midst of turmoil. So three lessons for you. Here is the first lesson that I want you to see. That God is faithful to punish sin. God is faithful to punish sin. And we see that in the first two verses of the book. Again, it says, In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. The Lord handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to him, along with some of the vessels from the house of God. And Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon, or the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and put the vessels in the treasury of his gods. Now let me, let me flesh out what's going on here, and then I want to hopefully apply it to us a little bit. Uh, You can make no mistake about this, that God handing, and, and pay attention to that language, God did this, God handing Judah over to Babylon for conquer was judgment on Judah. It was punishment for their sin. One commentator notes this, he says, the judgment was an expression of God's faithfulness to the Mosaic Covenant, which contained fitting curses for disobedience and idolatry, one of which was exile. And then he quotes from Deuteronomy 28, 36 and 37, where it says, The Lord will bring you and your king, whom you set over you, to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you will serve other gods of wood and stone. You see, often, often church, we don't think of God's faithfulness in terms of God being faithful to punish. Uh, but, but I want to make it clear, God is, God is not only faithful to do what we would consider to be the good things. God's not only faithful to give blessing. God's not only faithful to show grace and mercy. God is faithful to do everything that he, w- that he has said he would do. And this includes judging sin. This includes punishment for sin. God in giving Judah to Babylon is testifying that he is not a God to be trifled with. And he is a God who is faithful to do all that he has said he would do, including to punish sin. And church, I think that at times we need to be reminded of this because there is, I believe, a real temptation for us to believe that God is not actually going to punish sin. There is a temptation to forget the fact that there are real people around us. There are people that we know, there are people that we love, and there are people that we don't know who, apart from trusting in Jesus, will experience the real eternal punishment for their sins. And that is a guarantee because God is faithful. 
And if God is faithful to save, then he has to be faithful to judge because you can't have one without the other. If God is faithful to save, it means he has to save from something. And so God is faithful to to judge and to punish sin, but he is also faithful to save. But you have to have both of those together. And Judah, in our text, is being punished. But I want you to know this, it's not just Judah. Because Nebuchadnezzar, in his actions, is also storing up judgment for himself, which we will see in a few chapters. And notice what it says there in verse 2. It's very interesting. It says, The Lord handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to him. Now, Now notice this. Along with some of the vessels from the house of God. So these are things that would have been used in the temple, in the worship of God. And it says that Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon, or some of your translations say the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he put the vessels in the treasury of his God. So you have Nebuchadnezzar taking vessels from the house of God, things used to worship God, and he takes them to the land of Babylon, and he puts them in his temple for his false gods. Now, one of the things that's very interesting to note here, and this might not be as interesting to you, but it's fascinating to me, is that where it says their land of Babylon, or some of you have translated, which is the literal translation, the land of Shinar, that place is very significant. It's very significant because it's mentioned elsewhere in Scripture. It's mentioned in Genesis 11. Shinar was a place where people sought to make a name for themselves by building a tower that reached to heaven. And so the use of this place, God mentioning this location, draws us to consider that even though God is using Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar, they are not innocent. And like the people in Genesis 11, Nebuchadnezzar wants to make a name for himself. And God, who is faithful to punish sin, as we will soon see, will punish him as well. But in the meantime, these first two verses scream to us that our God is sovereign and that he is faithful. He will do all that he says. And this includes punishing those who rebel. Now you may be thinking, well, how does this relate to me? That's a good truth to know, because, but, but for me, I'm, I'm a believer. I'm in Christ. And, and so I know that my punishment was put on another. And, and that's true. We know that Jesus bore our punishment on the cross. You, you are right about that. But one application for us who are in Christ could be that this is a reminder to us that if God does not take sin lightly, neither should we. You know, though we will not be punished for our sins, if we are in Christ Jesus, there are still consequences for our sin here on this earth. There is still pain and heartache that comes when we refuse to be obedient to God. And I want you to hear me, church, and know that this comes from a heart of love. We are fools to think that God will not allow consequences and that he will not allow pain because of our sin. And the scary thing for many of us is when we experience that and we still don't learn. You know, we'll see later in Daniel 9 a a prayer from Daniel pleading with God for forgiveness. And in that prayer, he says one line that really stood out to me. And it's verse 13. 
And Daniel says, just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquities and paying attention to your truth. And the implication there is that God has been faithful to do what he has said he would do. He has brought punishment because of their sin. He has brought pain and consequences. And yet the people still have not learned. They still don't turn from their sin and run to truth. And church, our God is faithful. And in that faithfulness is a faithfulness to punish sin. And so what we see with Daniel is that he believes this to be true. He believes this to be true. Therefore, Daniel will fight to be faithful even in the midst of turmoil because Daniel believes and is seeing firsthand the reality that God is faithful. That God is faithful. Sometimes, church, we see God's faithfulness in areas we don't expect to see it. Some of us are only looking to see God's faithfulness in the good things that he can give us. But for Daniel, he sees this punishment of, uh, from God and it is a testimony to him that his God is faithful. He will do all that he says that he will do. Now, before you think this sermon is all gloom and doom, let me share with you the second lesson. From the book of Daniel. Yes, God is faithful to punish sin, but the second lesson is that God is faithful to provide. That God is faithful to provide. And we see this very thing with Daniel as well. You know, though he is experiencing the collective punishment of God, right? This collective punishment inflicted on Judah, God is still faithful to provide. And Daniel believes this, and Daniel is a testimony to this. <clears throat> so let me, let me again explain for a second here what's going on. Beginning there in verse 3, we see Nebuchadnezzar uh, give this order uh, to Ashpenaz, to his chief eunuch. We see him give this order to take young men from the noble and royal families of Israel. And it's important where they come from, from the noble and royal families. And he tells him to take these young men. And there are some qualifications for these young men. You see it there in the text. They were to be healthy young men. They were to be good-looking young men. They were to be suitable for instruction. And they were, be, they were to be able to serve. And most likely... What that means is that these would have been 12 to 16-year-olds. And keep that in mind for a minute. These would have been 12 to 16-year-olds. So when we let that sink in and we consider Daniel, this picture of Daniel's faithfulness here in Daniel chapter 1, we're not talking about the faithfulness of a grown man. We are talking about the faithfulness that flows from a child, potentially 13, 14, or 15 years old. So let me, let me just pause there for a minute and, and just remind you, especially if you are watching and you're kind of in that demographic, right? Like you, you're, you're a child or you're, or you're a teenager. You know, Scripture reminds us to let no one despise you because of your youth. Because God is going to use this kid in the book of Daniel, this child, to shape a nation. And just like Daniel, you can have this kind of faithfulness and trust and dependence on your God. This is not reserved just for older folks. So these would have been younger children. 
And they would have had to learn the language and the culture. It says that they were to learn the Chaldean language. They were to feast from the table of the king. And even their names were changed. So da- Daniel and his three friends had their names changed to match those of the Chaldean gods. But what all this tells us is that Nebuchadnezzar wasn't a fool. He was doing something very specific here. See, what his plan was, and it's a brilliant plan, was his plan was to indoctrinate the youth of Judah, but specifically those with status, so that they would then influence the other people into obedience. Because if you take the royals, if you take the nobles, and you raise up a generation who believe in, in, the, in the Babylonian gods and who speak the Chaldean language and who are instructed in the ways of the king, these noils will grow to have more influence among the people of Judah. And if they have been taught well in Nebuchadnezzar's mind, they will then teach the others to follow in their footsteps. And so the way that he seeks to accomplish this is he brings them into the palace in order to provide for them. And so those brought into the palace from Judah, they have two options. They can either trust in the provision of the king of Nebuchadnezzar or they can trust in the provision of their God, the God of Judah. And what we will see is Daniel and his friends hold fast to God. Daniel is believing that God is faithful to punish sin, but he is also believing that God is faithful to provide. And what he provides in church, this is key. We'll talk about this here in a moment. What Daniel believes is that what God provides is better. And he's going to attempt to show that by refusing the king's food. And this section is so interesting because it pits the provision of the king against the provision of God. One thing you'll notice if you read through it again is that whenever the king's food is talked about, it's not just that he was offered meat and wine, it's he was offered the king's meat and wine, the royal food, the king's food, because God is doing something intentional here. He is pitting the provision of King Nebuchadnezzar against the provision of God, and Daniel is going to have to choose whose provision he will seek. So we read, beginning there in verse 8, Daniel determined... Praise God, Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. So he asked permission from the chief eunuch not to defile himself. And God had granted Daniel kindness and compassion from the chief eunuch. Yet he said to Daniel, so this is the eunuch, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and drink. What if he sees your faces looking thinner than the other young men your age? He says, you would endanger my life with the king. So Daniel said to the guard, whom the chief eunuch had assigned to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he says, please test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then examine our appearance and the appearance of the young men who are eating the king's food. There it is, the king's food. And he says, and deal with your servants based on what you see. And he agreed with them about this and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, they looked better. That would literally mean fatter and healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. So the guard continued to remove their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. 
Now, this passage is familiar to many. Many of us know the story of Daniel refusing the king's food and eating vegetables and being shown to be healthier. People uh, know this passage so much that they've used it to create a diet plan called the Daniel Fast. And I'm not going to knock anybody who does the Daniel Fast, but in all actuality, the Daniel Fast is the complete opposite of what God is trying to prove here. Because the Daniel Fast is all about losing weight, but what Daniel was wanting to show was that the way that God provides is such a supernatural way that God can do what you wouldn't expect for him to do because naturally those who drank wine and ate meat would put on more weight vegetables don't naturally and yet God in his provision shows that God can do the impossible and at the end of 10 days they were fatter they were healthier they looked better than those who were eating the king's food you see what Daniel was wanting to show was not only that God provides but that the provision of God is always better than any earthly provision. You see, the king was giving them the best he had. Good meat, good wine, all trying to show that that he could provide for them, that he was trustworthy, that they could follow him. And what Daniel is declaring is that God can do exceedingly more than man. Because again, let's call it what it is. Meat and wine should put more weight on a person than vegetables and water. But what Daniel was, was that what God provides is always better. And church, that is something that we know to be true as well, don't we? Scripture has constantly testified to the fact that not only does God provide, but what God provides is always better. We saw that in the garden when Daniel tried to wrap himself in in fig leaves to cover his sin, and yet what God provided was a better covering. Right? We saw that on the mountain when Abraham took Isaac up to sacrifice him. And God provided him the son, which he was calling us to sacrifice. But, but then God provides something better when the ram is caught by his horns. Not only does God provide, but he always provides what is better. We see that most clearly in Jesus and in the cross. That God's plan is perfect and what God does is always better. But I want you to notice something else that's interesting. And this is somewhat of a side note, but I wanted to bring it out because I, I think it's an important lesson for us. I want you to notice how Daniel's resolve to follow God did not hinder his ability to love his neighbor. That Daniel's resolve to follow God did not hinder his ability to love his neighbor. neighbor. Did you notice that interaction with the chief eunuch there in verse 10? After Daniel tells him to just bring them vegetables and water, notice what the eunuch says. He says, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and drink. What if he sees your faces looking thinner than the other young men your age? You would endanger my life with the king. And notice what Daniel did not do. He did not say, I don't care about your king. I don't care about your feelings and I don't care about your life. I'm gonna follow God no matter what the cost. But what Daniel does here is he models how faithfulness to God can still consider the well-being of others. That's why Daniel says in verse 12, he says, all right, then please test your servants. Just test us for 10 days. I don't want to put you in jeopardy. I don't want to put your life in jeopardy. Test us for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then examine our appearance and the appearance of the other young men who are eating the king's food. And then he says this, and deal with your servants based on what you see. 
You see, even in the midst of Daniel's resolve to serve God, even in the midst of his faithfulness, Daniel submits to authority. Now, I do believe, and this is speculation, I do believe he would have held to his resolve if he was told no, but God was gracious. God allowed the eunuch to see them with compassion and favor. And it's just interesting to think through what his objection looked like. See, Daniel didn't object to the food out of arrogance. It wasn't about pride. It wasn't, it wasn't about trying to, to show others that he had more faith and he was better. It, was a, it flowed out of a genuine desire to just honor God and love people. And I want to remind you that, uh, that resolve to follow God and a love for neighbor They're not at odds. And I think that this is a timely reminder for us even in this season as the life of a church because I know, as you know, that we are getting told different things from brothers and sisters all over this world about you should open your churches, you should not open your churches. Some of you don't have enough faith. Some of you don't love your neighbors. Some of you don't X, Y, and Z. And what Daniel reminds us of is the truth that you can have both a deep dependence and a resolve to follow God and simultaneously have a genuine love and care for your neighbor. And those two things don't have to be at odds. I don't want to go too far down that road right now, but something for you to consider. So Daniel here, he holds fast to God. He's trusting in the Lord's provision while continuing to love those around him. And lo and behold, God shows up. God was faithful to provide and what God provided was better. Look at verses 14 through 20. It says, he agreed with them about this test about this and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, they looked better and healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. So the guard continued to remove their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Now notice what comes next. It says, and God gave these four young men knowledge and understanding and every kind of literature and wisdom. Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. And that will be very important in chapter two. And it says, at the end of the time that the king had said to present them, the chief eunuch presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king interviewed them, and among all of them, no one was found equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they began to attend the king. God provided. God showed up. And not only were they healthier than the other men, but God continued to provide. Notice how often it says God gave says God gave these men knowledge and understanding. God gave Daniel the gift of understanding visions and dreams. God provided in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of Judah's punishment, God was still faithful to provide. And church, you and I, we have to believe that God still provides today. And we have to believe not only that God provides, it is not enough for us as Christians to believe that God provides. We have to also believe that what God provides is better. Because the world will offer provision. Make no mistake about that. We cannot deny that. The world will offer, even as Pastor Lance reminded us last week, the world will offer us treasures. The world will offer us good. The world will offer us comfort and a sense of peace. The world will offer all of those things. But so does God. And so the question is, who's better? Who do we believe provides the better thing, the lasting thing, the eternal thing? 
The world will offer provision, but we have seen and believed and what has been made evident to us through Christ is that what God provides is always better. Again, it's not enough for Christians to believe that God provides. We have to believe that what God provides is better, and it is. Now, this leads to the third lesson, lesson this morning that I want you to see. So the first two lessons, God is faithful to punish sin. God is, God is faithful to provide. But here's the third lesson. God is worthy of our worship. God is worthy of our worship. You see, after Daniel and his friends abstain from the king's food and cling to the provision of God, God continues to provide and grants them, as we mentioned, wisdom and understanding. Daniel is able to interpret visions and dreams. And after this time, and it's a pretty big jump when you're reading chapter run, one, right after this time, you remember at the beginning, they would be trained for three years, tested for three years. So when the king goes before him to interview him, three years have passed. And notice what's recorded there beginning in verse 19. The king interviewed them. And among all of them, no one was found equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they began to attend to the king. Now notice this, in every matter of wisdom and understanding that the king consulted them about, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and medians, mediums in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. You see, I love this because unbeknownst to King Nebuchadnezzar, this pagan king in his declaration was attesting to the fact that God is greater and God is worthy of our worship. Because notice how it says that these ones who God provided for, for, for Daniel and his friends, notice it says that there was no one who could equal them. And it's not because they were so great. It's because God had provided for them and the God who provides is great and what God provides is always better and he alone is worthy of our worship. But notice Notice it says in verse 2, God gave. Notice it says in verse 9, God gave. Notice it says in verse 17, God gave. God is the sovereign one who is over all the nations. He is sovereign over creation. He is sovereign even over our gifts and the abilities we have. And so God and God alone is worthy of our worship. Have you ever thought about that before? That any gift you have, any talent you have, is a gift given to you by God and is meant to be used for God. And it is meant to be used for worship. It's meant to be used to make much of Him because He alone is worthy. I'm reminded of what Jeremiah declared in Jeremiah 10, 6, Lord, there is no one like you. You are great. Your name is great in power. But I... But I love what the king notices in verse 20. And I want to point this out where it says, he says, in every matter of wisdom and understanding that the king consulted them about. Now listen to this. This is important. He says, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and mediums in his entire kingdom. You see, that number might seem inconsequential, but it is not. God is telling us something. Because again, unbeknownst to King Nebuchadnezzar, he is testifying that God alone is worthy. He doesn't even know that. 
Because do you remember how many days Daniel told them to test him? It was 10 days. And lo and behold, the king declares that they are 10 times better. Because for 10 days, Daniel and his friends relied on the provision of God. They believed that what God has was better. They believed that God would show up, that our God is a faithful God to provide. And so he allowed them to test them for 10 days. And then King Nebuchadnezzar looks at them and says, wouldn't you know they're 10 times better? And the amazing thing is, most likely King Nebuchadnezzar never knew that they were tested for 10 days. Because as the eunuch said, he was afraid that the king would kill him if he found out that they were refusing the food the king was providing. So most likely, King Nebuchadnezzar had no idea that this had gone on for the past three years. He had no idea that Daniel and his friends had been tested for 10 days. But, but they were tested for 10 days. And then the king looks and says, they're 10 times better. And unbeknownst to Nebuchadnezzar, he is declaring that when God provides, it is always better. And he alone is worthy of worship. Isn't God amazing? He can use a pagan king who doesn't realize what he's saying <laughs> to get praise and glory and adoration. God is amazing. No, Nebuchadnezzar didn't know what he was saying. There will come a point soon where he will. He will understand better who this God of Judah is. But I want you to note one final thing about this point that is so important about this fact that God is worthy of our worship. We cannot forget the context that Daniel 1 is in the midst of turmoil. It's in the midst of enslavement and it's in the midst of punishment. And Daniel, in the midst of all of that, still believes that God is worthy of worship. And what I love is that Daniel is a living testimony that our worship does not depend on our circumstances. See, we talk often about our faith not being determined by our circumstances and our joy not being determined by our circumstances, but we can't neglect the fact that our worship cannot be determined by our circumstances. Circumstances cannot dictate our faithfulness and circumstances cannot dictate our worship if indeed it is true worship. And I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, and this might be a hard word, and I, I mean it to try to challenge you to examine yourself. If your worship ceases in the hard circumstances of your life, even though you might be singing praises with God's name in them in the good moments, you are likely not worshiping him at all. You are most likely worshiping what he can do for you and not who he is. And I want to just say that there is nothing more, this is nothing more than a twisted form of idolatry where we still think we are the center of the story. That God is only worthy of worship when we are happy. God is only worthy of worship when our lives are going well. But Daniel is a living, breathing example. He reminds us that in the good and the bad, and there will be more bad to come for Daniel, yet in the midst of all of it, we will continuously see the declaration of Daniel's life that God is worthy of our worship. At every moment, in every season, during every trial and heartache, God is still worthy of our worship. I know I've gone a little over my time, but before we end this morning, I want to draw your attention to a final aspect of this first chapter of Daniel. <clears throat> I told you at the beginning, the very beginning, that I'm excited for this series for three reasons. And the third reason I said that I'm excited for this series is because echoes of the gospel reverberate loudly throughout this book. And this first echo happens here in this first chapter of Daniel. 
Because consider our lessons this morning. Tell me they don't declare to us the gospel. God is faithful to punish sin. The reality is that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us deserves the fate of Israel a hundred times over. We deserve to be cut off from the hand of God. We deserve to spend eternity separated from him because like Israel, like Judah, we have broken God's law and left in our sin. That is exactly what will happen to us. We will be eternally punished because of our sin and God has to, he must do it because God is faithful and his holiness demands it. And yet, while this truth stands, so does the second truth, that God is faithful to provide. And though God is faithful to punish sin and though God should punish sin and though we deserve to be punished for our sin, God has provided and what he has provided is better. He has provided a way for us to escape the punishment of our sin. He has provided in his provision a sacrifice. He provided Jesus who stepped in and took the full weight of our punishment so that we could be made right with God. He took the judgment of God on himself for us so that we could return to a place of fellowship and relationship with God. And so that we could give God the worship that is rightly due his great name. And I just want to remind you that the provision of God reminds us that our God alone is worthy of worship. The fact that he has even allowed us to worship him and invites us to worship him through Christ is a testimony to just how amazing our God is. See here, even in these lessons from Daniel, you have an echo of the gospel and we believe that God is still faithful. He is still faithful. Church, I'm excited to see what the Lord, do, Lord does in the weeks to come as we dive deeper into the book of Daniel. But my last exhortation to you is this. Be faithful, even in the midst of turmoil, believing that God is faithful to punish sin, but God is faithful as well to provide, and that in all things, our God is worthy of our worship. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for the book of Daniel and the testimony of your dominion and your sovereignty and your goodness and your reign and your rule. I thank you for the pictures of faith and the challenge for us to be people of deep faith, believing in you when things are good, believing in you when things are hard. And I thank you for the the privilege it is to worship you, to worship you when things are good and when things are hard. Lord, I pray that we would be found faithful. I pray that you would... Encourage us throughout the weeks to come that we would, as I prayed at the beginning, be, be even more in, in awe of who you are. And we love you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for salvation that comes from his hand. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.